I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Is that the biggest problem, Hafiz, that, that, that dudes are just lying to themselves, bro? Porn has messed them up. Because what happens is dudes watch pornography and, they, and we all have it. Trust me, I had it too. When I was younger, we have this sexual entitlement, right? right, right. Instagram error has created sexual entitlement. People feel like I deserve the million-dollar house. I deserve the million-dollar job. I deserve the vacation in Dubai. I deserve, you know what I mean, a million followers. I deserve right. the smoking hot wife. This social media entitlement generation has made people feel like they deserve the top of the top, though they are not that. Right, right. Radical self-awareness puts your life into perspective and you have gratitude for what you have. You don't need a 10 to be happy. You don't need a nine to be happy. You need what God has provided for you to be happy. Your podcast, The Coach HP Show. Hey, yo soy el más odiado, más gregor en el octavo no, ya no pierda, yo soy el más pagado. Un millón por un show, si soltar una canción en cinco meses, en verdad que dije wow. Now we're live, bro. Here we go. Three, two, one, boom. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome back to the number one most positive podcast on the internet right now, the Coach HP Show. And today's show, I have the Nigerian nightmare. The man that I think, dude, you... This is why I think you're very special, Hafiz, because... You, in an era where dudes that are talking about what you're talking about, you're one of the few guys that does it, but in a very, bro, like, compassionate way. Like, you're not a dick about it, you know? You're not like, oh, let's, uh, let's abuse people, or you don't put people down and stuff like that, man. And I feel you're one of the few guys that, that like, you care, bro, and you're very genuine, man. And, and that has me not only very proud of you, but very excited about your future, bro. Do you feel that? Yeah, no, I think I think to me the difference between me and most people is that um, for me, this has been a, a, a long journey. The first video I ever put out on YouTube was in 2012, and I was writing a lot of my ideas in 2009. So for me, this is, this is years kind of in the hyperbolic time chamber preparing for this moment. And so I feel as though the message is a little bit more refined because I just wasn't just somebody who decided to be on the internet a year or two ago. Like the, these were a long time. Um, it's been a long journey to be able to get to this point right now. Bro, are you the second most famous Nigerian, bro, behind Usman? Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you got to make a list of a thousand people, then times that by a thousand. I'm somewhere, somewhere at the bottom of that list. How how has it been, man? How how proud of yourself are you? I, I know nobody likes to celebrate anything, but how happy are you with everything you've built? You know, to be honest with you, um, I'm just being honest. I'm not that 
happy because I expected to be here a long time ago. Uh-huh. And and it's still it's still not what I want it to be. So while I have to have the perspective and say where I was in 2015 is totally different than I am in 2022. So I'm I'm objectively happier because of what I've built. But in the back of my mind, it's just like we just have so much. I have so much more to go, um um to do, and just such a long distance that needs to be traveled. Where if you could put man, and we're gonna. One of the reasons why I love having you on is I love talking about relationships. That's like, I love that. My thing's a little different because I do with the father, son in the sports world, right? Which is something that you're familiar with. But I love guy, girl strategy, bro. I could talk about this all day, man. And I want to pick your brain on a million things and get your your vibe on it. The whole thing, dude. But what would you like more of? Like a win for you would be what? Um, I think a win for me is to have a community of more winners. I think that's one of the things that excites me the most, which is why we I spent the past year really investing all my time, all my money um, into the standard because to me, I want a community of more winners. Um, I think the internet's plagued by a whole generation of men who have the vic- victim mindset, who like to complain about why they're losing. But I just think we need more winners. Um, as Patrick Bet Davis said, we need more heroes. And so for me to have more winners, more heroes, more guys who are physically fit, emotionally healthy, spiritually grounded, financially stable, as well as guys great physical presentation, like that to me is a big win. And are you I know you have it's called what what is it called? The standard? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing where you buy a suit and you you're in the yeah. club, right? Yeah. So it's it's changed. So it used to be buy a suit, then you're in the club. But we realized you don't get a jersey till you join the team. So so now moving forward, you have to join the organization. Then once you join the organization, then you can go ahead and purchase the suit. So yeah. So basically, the standard is a community of extraordinary men committed to excellence. And so the idea behind it is one of my favorite TV shows, not the movie, the TV show of the Justice League. And the concept okay. of the Just League is pretty dope because what you have is you have a lot of super amazing, competent heroes who by themselves can achieve great things. So Superman can do great things. Batman can do great things. Flash can do great things. Um, Aquaman, Cyborg, Lantern, Martian Manhunter, all of them by themselves in and of themselves can do great things. But what mm-hmm. happens is they come together for the purpose of assisting one another and to be assisted by the other. So for example... Let's say um, Superman will join Flash on a mission to defeat the Toy Master, but then Flash will join Superman on a mission to um, defeat Lex Luthor. So it's like I, I I have heroes that can assist me accomplish the task at hand, and I assist heroes with their task at hand. So to me, that's what the standard is about, about connecting great men, partnering with great men, and just having a community of leaders, of winners, of men who are chasing excellence. I love that. Your speaking style, right? You're one of the few guys that, bro, when you interview very well. And one of the reasons I think you interview very well is you you have low-key energy. Even though you're super passionate, you fly under the radar very well, Hafiz, because it's just you're 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 not an intimidating guy. You're passionate, but so you you and you know your position very well, dude, right? As a coach now with these people. 
how often do you get through to them? Do you clash with them? Are you like, bro, like, what are you doing, man? Like, you got to listen to me. Like, how? Do, I, I, what's your biggest obstacle in doing what you're doing? So I kind of got to go backwards a little bit. It's interesting, you know, Coach HP, I, back in the day, they would call me Coach Fees because I was a football coach. I coached high school football and I coached um, middle school football. But what's interesting is in 2013, when I was coaching high school football, I was simultaneously teaching preschool. So it was an interesting juxtaposition. You're coaching the defensive backs and running backs in high school football. Then you're teaching preschools. And even more funny was there's this one girl who, who was at my school and she was three. And then I coached her brother at the same time who was 16. Um, awesome, so it's an interesting man. little journey. And so what happened was my experience has been I've worked with young men of every level. Literally of every level. I have I have students right now who are 16 years old. Um, no, I think he, he's 15. He's fit. Who are 15 years old? I met them when they were four. So wow. my journey is very unique because I I've taught middle um 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 preschool, elementary, middle, and high school, and I did some I did um, college ministry. So I can honestly say from zero to 21, I have taught instructed been responsible for men of every single age and so for me you know i literally had to change diapers not proverbially with my high school kids but literally with the preschool kids right and so a lot of my challenges for so many years was trying to get kids and young guys to 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 take the advice i was giving to apply these things into their lives i have so many stories about me just literally being in tears because I wanted somebody to, to do something that will benefit their life, but they wanted to go down the wrong path. And so one of the reasons why I was excited about creating the standard and moving forward was that I, I personally am kind of tired of changing diapers. I, I, I'm kind of over that idea of, 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 of just helping individuals who I have to beg to help. And I want to invest my time in those who, who, not only want to help, but are already helping themselves. And so currently in this season of life, I, I rarely deal with guys like that um, from what we're doing with the standard, because I mean, let's, the guys are usually between the age of 25 to 35. And obviously you have guys in their forties and guys in their lower twenties. So some of the guys are crushing it. Some of the dudes, seven figure guys, in great physical shape, happy family, husbands, multiple children. So, the community is just so many great guys. So I don't really have to deal with as many of the headaches that I used to deal with in the past. That's awesome, dude. You're, are you still focusing on the roommate stuff or is that separate or has this become your big thing now? Where, where are you at? Yeah, so the roommates is separate because what, I, what we realized with the roommates is first, when we started the roommates, I was 26 years old, um, sleeping on the couch, maybe making $2,000 a, a month, right? Literally living like this basic young adult life. Now I'm about to be 32, married. You know, my life is a lot different now. So what we realized is the roommates became a place for a lot of young guys, usually anywhere between ages of 18 to 26. A lot of young guys were starting to figure life out. So the roommates is always going to be a platform and I'll always do stuff for those guys between that age group who are beginning to figure life out. But to me, what gives me life the most is 
guys 25 to 35 who are crushing it, who are hungry, who are driven, who are ambitious, who are focused, who are go-getters, being around them. That's what gives me life right now. So kind of um, divided my time between those two things. I like that, dude. I like that a lot, man. You uh, So you're what, 32 now? About to be 32 next month. So I got 10 years on you pretty much. I'm 43, right? Okay, sweet. And uh, I got lucky. I got married at 37 after being six years single pretty much in Los Angeles. Became a celebrity baseball coach working with kids. And then I moved to a little town called Las Vegas where I got my PhD in how to deal with people. And I ran a club called Hyde in the Bellagio. And I lived at the Aria Hotel, right? So that's where I got my PhD in how to deal with people and especially with women because that, that's when it really elevated for me, right? But in Los Angeles, I was hanging out with and it was the first time. It's yeah. the first time, Hafiz, that I saw a difference in what picking up women really is because I was with assassins that happened to be billionaires or very famous. So that was like, for me, that was like game over, you know, and I learned that the problem that I had before I got to Vegas was I had identity issues growing up because one of the things that makes you very interesting is you have a great relationship and you talk awesomely about your dad, yeah. which is awesome, right? I'm the reverse in the sense that my dad prepared me for everything in life except to deal with him. <laughs> so he was a disaster with me when I failed through baseball. I'm Cuban. So baseball is like our, is like our thing, right? Pops, I want to talk about you and Pops, right? What makes your dad so special that yeah. when you were growing up, you're like, dude, that's my guy, bro. What, what was it? I think to me, my dad had an obsession with his children. And he had an obsession with loving them with positivity, right? So do you have some dads who have this obsession with their kids but the obsession really is about living vicariously through their ch child. So they push them in sports and entertainment and whatever it is to be successful because they never were successful. Right. So my dad had an obsession with his children, but his obsession was about just, just literally just loving them and being there for them. He didn't he didn't like ask you to be a lawyer, doctor, NFL player, singer. Uh, performer. He didn't ask you to be anything besides who God made you to be. And he just loved, loved you and was there for you. And so hey. to me, I think to me, that's what made my dad a hall of fame dad. It, it, was, it was like three things. First, I mean, my dad told me, I love you every single day since I was, since I was born. So um, that's something that most guys I've found even today are still waiting for their father to tell them that I love you. Uh, right. My dad, me it every day and he showed it to me every day uh my dad was always there when we were babies my dad would change our diapers my dad it was funny because me and my sister when we were we were younger we didn't want my mom to even shower us we would ask for my it was dad. all pops he would, huh <laughs> do everything he would do everything and 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 it was really really amazing but then at the same time you know, he was the guy working two jobs Two jobs, going to school, doing whatever he can to provide for his family. So to me, what what made him so great was the positivity. If you meet my my dad, he's the most positive. He's the opposite of me, right? I'm very cynical <laughs> at times. You are, yeah. My dad is my dad is super positive. 
my dad's my kind of guy. That's it. My kind of guy, bro. And so my so to have a dad like this, I love you. You're great. You're amazing. You're handsome. You're intelligent. Like all these positive words every single day. And then to be there, show up because as anybody can do a job for a week, anyone can do a job right. for a month, but to be able to do a job. 32 years in a row like i can call my dad right now and you swear it sounds like you guys have heard from me in like five years that's how excited he is um and so to me those are some of the things that made my dad a hall of fame father which blessed me and it, and it hurts me that more men weren't able to experience that in their lives what qualities of him do you have um i think for me my dad is super compassionate and so while I'm I'm the opposite, I'm genetically Nigerian, not culturally Nigerian. So I have a lot of things from my grandparents' DNA, grandfather's DNA, who, who I've never met. I have a lot of roughness and toughness and sternness from them. But then my dad's DNA, my dad's so compassionate. Like my dad hates the idea of hurting people. I do it, but then I hate the idea of doing it. So to me, like that 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 feeling of like, you don't sit well doing wrong to people. That's something that my dad instilled in me that I, I know is, is really what makes him a great human being. When you say you hurt people, what do you mean by hurt? Like you do it like with, with my you... words, the way I talk, you know, I have a, my dad, like I said, my dad's the opposite. I'm a very direct person. My dad's more fluff and kindness and sweets. He's the kind of guy that says, if you don't have any, anything positive to say, don't say it at all. I'm like, well, Say the truth <laughs> regardless, right? So so we have this interesting juxtaposition. And so so to me, one of my biggest challenges has been also with wording and saying things in a most positive, uplifting way. And so for me, I have my you know, more of this Nigerian, if you understand Nigerian culture, this, you know, you know, this pepe soup, this anyway, pete pete kind of talking where it's very um, you know, spicy talk, but then I don't sit well doing it, right? So I can so I can give somebody a harsh sentence, but then I won't sleep well at night knowing that I talk to them that well that way, and so that was something that uh, so that's the way I have to grow, and that's kind of what my dad instilled in me. Nah, but I think you do you're doing great, bro. You have the Hafiz. What is it? Hafiz uncensored, unfiltered. Yeah, unfiltered. Oh, I love that, bro. Who's the? There was this Chad guy. I, I, listen, I so I heard about you. Because I had no idea the roommates existed. But right before I interview Patrick, I go, let me do some research on Patrick, you know, to see. And, bro, you, the roommates, your interviews with him came out twice. And I was like, bro, this guy interviewed this guy very well. The questioning, the this, the, I think you did it perfectly, bro. Especially for his character and, and thing, you crushed it, right? But then I started looking more and I was like, there's very little interviews on you. Right, I think maybe his boy did it on something, but there's not that much. But I, when I saw Hafiz unfiltered, I go, "This is the best, bro." Mm -hmm. But you, it forces you to be brutal because when people are so out there, and you're like, "Bro, come on!" Like the dude, the best was I think the guy's name was Chad, with the that he had like a a long distance or a, a lady that was that wanted her residencies to marry the guy, and you're like, "Chad, you're killing me, man! Come on, come on." <laughs> uh, how much do you love doing that, man? I actually stopped doing that because of my dad. My dad no doesn't way. like it. No way. He called you out on it. He's like, dude, you got to Yeah, stop yeah. Me, so, so, you know, when I, I tell people, most people don't really... 
fully get an opportunity to know me because I personally don't believe you should show your whole self online. That's just my opinion. I believe the internet is your it's for what the public needs and you should have a private life. So most people don't realize I don't I don't share much, I don't talk much, I don't really I, I have a lot of content, but I don't really do a lot of my personal life out there. Um and why so, is that? Why is that? Because of I the vulnerability the about not, you don't I, like I it? believe it's not meant for the internet. I believe that I I believe we'll probably get into this later. Like the internet is not meant to understand nuance and complexity is not for that. I feel like that these are intimate things. These are intimate conversations that are meant to happen in private. And I, and I think that. a lot of who you are is meant to be experienced by those closest to you, not by the whole entire world for them to judge it who don't have the context and nuance. So I just personally believe it's not the wisest thing in my personal opinion to put your whole life on the internet. I don't believe in that. Um, but what I was saying was it, in, when it comes to me, I believe interviewing is my weakest strength. That's like my, my weakest strength is what most people know me for. And people think I'm really good at it. I don't think I'm that good at it personally. Cause I don't really work on that. That's just like, I actually, I really don't prepare. I just kind of show up and talk. I'm, I can talk. Right. So, but my, my real strength in my opinion is communicating ideas, kind of what we're doing right now. And right. so, People who know me personally know that when I'm interviewing, I have a different temperament than how I am in real life. When I'm interviewing people, it's not about me. It's about them. Right, so I am right. very jovial, positive, friendly, non-combative. And you're like and, this, bro. And you're like very like this. You're very even keel. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and when you're going at Chad, you're destroying him. You're like, Chad, you're killing me, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, so most people think, I'm that guy when I'm interviewing. That's that's when I'm interviewing a stranger or someone who I respect. That's how I, but that's not who I am. I'm the mm -hmm. other other side of the spectrum, right? So the unfiltered is probably like a tenth. That's not even who I really am. If I was to do how I really was, it'd be a whole lot of the problem. But uh, the unfiltered was like a tenth of who I really was, and kind of just showing a little bit of that to the internet. So I would do the pepper soup for the men and for the women. And there was one episode where this one woman called and she had a certain condition that, um, you know, was a personal thing for people in my family. And I just kind of gave her what I would give any person. I, you know, I call it equal opportunists, you know, for men and for women. If you want the pepper soup, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to discriminate. Right. So my dad never watches the content. He happened to watch that episode, you know, oh, and, and he watched me and I was just, yeah, yeah, just going off straight pepper stoop on this woman. And my dad was just like, I don't like that. That's not good. It's not how you talk to people, this, that, and the third. So, so then I started realizing also this other idea of what you do in moderation, those who follow you do in excess. So for me, I understand the nuance for the pepper soup. The pepper soup is meant to build people up, not to tear people down. But people would think the pepper soup was a roast. They thought it was like, oh, you're making fun of them. You're, you're harassing them. You're putting their business on front street. And to me, it drew a lot of negative people. So with my dad kind sense. of being like, man, like, I don't like the way you're talking to people on the internet. It's not good to do it online. Talk to them in private about their issues like that. And then the negative people who wanted the bloodbath every every single week, that kind right. of made me feel like, uh, I, I, what, regardless of the money, the fame, the followers, the views, that's not for me, and I actually stopped doing that completely. I love it. I do it. In, I do it in my in my personal life, but it's just not meant for the internet. Dude, I, I I get that. I I I read that you don't read comments. Gary told you to read comments. You stopped reading comments. You left yeah. it alone. I uh, 
I view I view the internet and this whole thing a little bit like you do. But to me, I wish I could put my whole life on the internet. I wish I could tell everybody if I get in a fight with my chick, I wish I could put that on the internet. If I do this because I'm exactly what you say, which is I think it's like it was a radical accountability. Is that what you said? Yeah. What you say? Yeah. You're better at English than I am with words. I don't speak that good with words, but bro, I everything that happens bad to me, I blame myself. Everything. Other than my dad beating me up when I was young because I, I didn't understand to do that. But other than that, everything is my fault, right? And that accountability. Is that what dudes are missing? Is that is that what uh what, what's happening? Because as I look at, I've always looked at guys that talk about relationships. I always judge them with the chick that they got, right? And I noticed that any everybody or anybody that's hated on me that I know is with a fucking two. So I'm like, bro, I, I, I see that, you know? So I'm trying to, I'm like, and I go, man, that light sucks. I got lucky I married a 10, right? For me, my 10. Been with her for nine, I think like seven years. And it's the best, bro. It's the best. I never thought, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids. I want to be single my whole life. I love being single. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. My thing was chicks 24-7, right? <laughs> yeah. You now, you've been married now for so like four years or something, three years. No, it's just been uh, been been for for um for about that long, but we've been married for about a year, a so year, recently, right? Recently married, yeah. So recently married, the yeah. guy, a guy like you is is this is I'm gonna take a little guess here, okay? It's gonna be difficult because your dad set the bar so high that you're gonna go for that. I feel that you know you're gonna try to be the loving father. You're gonna try to be all these things, right? What challenges have you seen, if any, maybe you haven't, in the married version of you versus the guy before while yeah. doing the content thing and stuff like that? Yeah, I think to me, the, the biggest difference in marriage is has been the, uh, the absolute reckless decision making as well as the reckless um, freedom I had that I don't have anymore. And it's good and it's bad, right? So, for example, like there was a time and a place where I would put a, a million dollars on black. If I lost it all, I would move back in with my parents, figure things out, and then get back in the game, right? Happy, hold on, whoa, whoa, hold on, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Are you a gambling guy? Not, not literally gambling. <laughs> like, it's oh, I thought. Well, listen, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a Vegas guy. If you, I was like, whoa, whoa tell me your game. I want to hear some stories. <laughs> Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not literally, but like figuratively, right? So, right, right, right. So, there, right. so there's a lot of risks I would take in my life, like a lot of risks that, like, at this point, you know, I can't take those risks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I remember somebody once told me, he made a point where he said, when you're single, you don't think that you can die. You feel like you're invincible. But when you're married, you, 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 you know you can die, and you, and you absolutely do everything in your power to not do so because people are depending upon you. Right. So when you're right, single, right. you're like, I'm Superman. I'll jump off this building. You don't really care. You're single, doing whatever you want. You're married. You know death is, exists. You, 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 and you can't die because she, your children, they need you to be alive, right? So when it comes to just like making like crazy risks and crazy decision making, can't do that anymore. And so to me, I think that's one of the biggest things that's changed for me is just like just realizing that I just can't recklessly just stop everything and just and just do and just burn bridges you know make very rash decisions there has right. to be more planning more conversation and just more um thoroughness when it comes to everything that i do 
I would ask the the guys in the club. There was a couple guys in the club that were older and they had kids, and some were divorced and some uh, were in relationships that sucked. Right. Also, they married and they hooked up with cocktail servers that worked there and they married them, which that's a hard. It's a hard thing, bro. That that that's a hard, interesting. Actually, it's tough. so on a random note, the uh, it's two jobs that ha- sorry, there's a list of jobs that have the highest divorce rates, bartenders and um, bar managers, hotel managers are one and two, I believe. Yeah, bro, because it's, I don't care what you look like. When you enter the nightclub world and you're in that thing, you have extremely attractive, vulnerable girls and you have that like dad thing over them. And that you brought that up is crazy because my only thing, I got mentored by probably one of the greatest club guys of all time. The guy who's an assassin, bro, a savage. And the guy sat with me and he goes, listen, bro, you're going to go to Vegas and I'm going to tell you something. If you can control yourself, that you don't start hooking up with the servers, you're going to be a monster there. And Hafiz, it was the first time ever, bro, that I almost became gay with them and I became like their best friend. And it's the first time in my life. And people don't talk about how important this is that I built friendships with women that I didn't hook up with. Like, it was literally like, you're my friend. Like, I, I always view girls as tools, right? And as a showing off mechanism. Like, oh, watch, I got a 10. I'm going to show it off to Hafiz. And he's gonna do. But I learned that, bro. Do you talk about that at all in your philosophy? Do you think about that? In regards to friendship or in regards to the Vegas thing? Well, the Vegas thing's the Vegas thing, but like in the friendship thing, like to, like to build a structure, like where it's literally like you have a hot chick that hangs out with you, but doesn't, uh, but it's not like, like that gives you more props that you roll up to a place and you can say hi to girls and they're around you. Everybody thinks you're hooking up with them, but you're not because people don't know that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I see you with three chicks. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's hooking up with them. You're like, bro, I don't even touch any of them. But the outside world looks up. Do you ever talk about that? Yeah, so one of the things that is interesting, me, me and my my uh, a business one of my business partners, France. I know you talked to France a little bit here and there. We've talked about this concept about um, of just how a lot of men misvalue women and misvalue the multiple benefits that can come from it. And so basically, it's like this idea where some women have this concept where guys are are husband or bust. So it's like if he's not my husband, I'm not gonna talk to him. I'm not gonna hang out with him. I'm not gonna spend my time with him. If he's not gonna, you know, not my man, I don't care. And, and I believe that's wrong. So a lot of guys, on the flip side, view it sex or bust, right? If I can't have sex with her, it's a bust. And what you don't realize is there's like 75 different ways a woman can bring value to your life, and we can talk about all 75 of them. But let's focus on two major things. The first that you talked about is what guys don't realize is. If you have if you have friends if you have friends with with high caliber women, you, and and you don't realize how many other high caliber women will want to be around you just because you have friends who are these people. So I, 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 without getting too deep into some of our crazy theories that we talk about, is like get into deep as many as you want, bro. I've been dying for this conversation, so go for it. So it's it's like this idea. Let's say you wanted to, let's say you let's say you were a young guy and you're like, yo, I want this. Let's say you were young. You let's 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 take it, let's take it as carnal as possible. You were a young guy, say, I just want to get laid by by hot chicks, right? Your young guys wanted to get laid. 
what is probably in your best interest, though I do not condone male promiscuity, what is probably in your best interest is not to spend your time trying to get laid. That's actually counterintuitive. What will be in your best interest is how can you build genuine relationships with women? Because what can happen is by you building genuine relationships with women, now those women, one, will share all about you to their friends. And two, you get a lot of value and social proof by those women being with you in your life. So, for example, you meet so-and-so the hot cocktail waitress don't try to hook up with her instead add values to her life be somebody who's beneficial and then she's throwing a birthday party and now she has 10 other friends oh my gosh here's here's hector he's amazing oh oh susan here's hector oh jasmine oh my gosh hector's such the greatest guy in the world bro now you instead of you taking one hooking up with one and then ruining that relationship you build with one, and now you have access to 10 other people. And so that's something that the selfish guy doesn't realize. And that's one of the things that I've learned, obviously, later on in life, about the value of, of, of really having healthy relationships with women. Another example, we had our um, we had our uh, the standard, we do these three-day weekends. So like we do these three-day weekend celebrations. We had our last one in Miami in August. Uh, my favorite uh, restaurant in Miami is called Versailles. It's a Cuban restaurant. So we had our whole entire, um, our, we had our team there. We had our guys from our, our company there. And then we have some of these really dope women that I've met throughout the way who joined us. We were the best dressed, the best looking guys in the place by far. Everybody was talking about us. At the very end of the dinner, the owner of the restaurant comes because he said he wants to meet me. I come, I shake his hand. I say, I love your establishment. I love eating here. He said one thing. He gave me one compliment. You know what that compliment was? Talk to me. He said, he said, I love your beautiful women. All, he didn't say nothing about the guys in the suits, about <laughs> the celebrities that were there. All he said to me was, I love your beautiful women. And so I didn't bring those women to my event to be trophies or to to fulfill my ego they're my genuine those are genuine friends of mine yeah. who i've added value to their life they've added value to my life they respect me i respect them and they're friends who are joining me with my other friends on this experience but the owner could not get enough and wanted to learn more about what i was doing and who i was and so to me a lot of guys don't realize that and if you're and, and if you're able to be a guy who you still got to be masculine and competent and all that and all those great things, but you, you can use one person to build five different connections instead of just trying to be thirsty and, and squeeze all the juice out of one and to be able to, you know, have bad reputation and, and to miss out on further opportunities in your life. I completely agree with you, bro. Versailles, right? Versailles is a big time place here in, uh, in Miami. They, the, the funny thing about Versailles is Versailles, all the political things that happen here in Miami happen there, bro. So for that guy to come and tell you that, that, that guy's seen everything here. Like you were talking about, like, that's like a landmark place, bro. So that's, that's a big compliment, man. I've, uh, one of the things that I don't know if you talk about this or not, that I think is huge is you got to have a spot. You got to have a spot that when you go, you say, hi, Everybody I don't knows care. your name. 
everybody knows you. You say, you say, and you're even saying what's up to people you never say what's up to, just so that you get that thing. You need to have like three of them, right? You agree with that or no? So I literally have this idea, um, exactly what you're talking about. We call it homeroom theory. Mm. So basically, it's this concept where, and if you, if most people could go back in time and date again. The easiest place to ever date would be school. The easiest place. If you go go back in time, have confidence, have your charisma, the easiest place is going to be school. And the best place in school is going to be in your homeroom, right? So if you remember this idea of being in your homeroom in middle school or sometimes, sometimes in high school, it was a place where every single day you would go. So if you, whether you had a block schedule or a regular schedule, every day you started your day in your homeroom. You knew everybody in your homeroom. Everybody in your homeroom knew you. Right. That was probably the easiest place to meet, to talk, and interact with people because you have proximity, time, and opportunity to connect. So to me, we, we call it homeroom theory because we tell guys, you have to recreate that homeroom in your city. So find a club, a bar, or a, a restaurant, ideally a restaurant. Um, clubs are the least ideal. Uh, yeah, less creepy. You, you you want the less creepy place that yeah. almost it's it, it's like. And I'm gonna run ideas by you, and then you're gonna tell me if you say okay with me or not. Because what I would, it's not I'm a double agent, but it's like I I want chicks to know that I'm an assassin, but I'm a nice guy at the same time, right? That's always yeah. the the give and take, right? So I yeah. would do like a mom and pop place. I would never take a chick to a hot spot. I don't want any girl to see me in any hotspot because of that. Another thing I would do is if I'm a guy in my 20s or 30s and I'm not at the A level yet, I would never go after a 10 in my life. Like I would literally never go after a 10. I would hook up with uh, sevens, eights, anything below in private. You know, I'll take it down because I have to, whatever. But for me to be out seen with a chick holding hands, it'll be strong, right? But everything else is sevens and eights and super friendly. Because, and I want to get your opinion on this, when you're 20-something years old, 30-something years old, unless you are a high-profile person that can carry that weight, the chick that's a 10 has so much talent after her that you can't compete. Do you agree with that or no? So, yes and no. To me, I think, I believe in assortative mating, and so it's very important that you you be, what does that what does that mean? Remember, I'm not as smart as you. You gotta go real dummy for me, bro. Okay. So assorted mating. What does that mean? Assortative mating. So one of my favorite okay. books on like um human mating and uh and human sexuality is written by Dr. David Buss from the mm -hmm. University of Texas called The Evolution of Desire. Absolutely exceptional read. Um, but these are concepts that are like is is typical everybody knows it, but he's just a, a really smart guy. So assortative mating is based upon the premise of like. If, if you are the most fertile, viable, you know, deer, you are going to have the most powerful, you know, most dominant buck, right? Like, it's how it works. It's like you kind of assortative dating is, is simply, I made it complicated, is dating on your level. That's all Got it is. I love that. I love assortative that. Assortative mating is dating on your level, being with somebody on your level, because that's how life is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be you have the top with the top, middle with the middle, bottom with the bottom. That's how it's supposed to be. Any other ways of discrepancy, right? It's an imbalance. Um, so to me, yes, if if you are if if you are a guy 
and you know you're not a 10, you know you're not a 10, it doesn't make sense for you to date what you consider a 10 because if you don't believe you deserve her, why would she? Now you're just Absolutely. lying, putting on the facade. Absolutely. So from a psychological standpoint, it makes no sense as a man because you don't believe you deserve her. If now, you, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. When inside, when you're confident, you believe you deserve everybody, right? But what I'm trying to get at is if you don't they have don't. the tool. Well, let me ask you a question. Let ahead. me ask a question. If let's say you believe you deserve it, right? But okay. you don't have the toys yet. You don't have the pull yet, right? My advice is, and I want to see if you agree with me or not, is because what I try to avoid is setbacks, even though we need failure, right? I try to avoid heartache and to ruin this whole thing that you go off and marry a six because you just got so, like, destroyed going after tens. You're like, fuck, man, that you make, like, a bad choice and you settle down with a six, right? Do you agree that even though, let's say, you're jacked, you're ripped, you're ready to go, but the problem is these girls you're competing with, unless you got bedroom power that you can control them in sex, which a lot of people can't do that, you know? The the Latin dudes kind of we, and immigrants have, we have that, the minorities have that. We have like that testosterone thing that we can control women in the bedroom, right? And that kind of plays out. But do you agree with, if let's say in your brain you feel you're a 10, but you're not there yet that you don't have the toys to wait a little bit to get that? Or are you like, bro, attack and go for it? Yeah, so to me, so to me, I think, it's one of the things. If you if you personally believe that you're a ten, you have to justify why do you believe that you're this, right? So if I, if I if like let's do sports. Let's say I'm a basketball player. I said I believe I'm the best basketball player in the NBA. Cool, you believe that. All right, where are you starting on your team? No, I'm third string. No, you're not the best. There's a disconnect there. <laughs> There's a disconnect. How can you? Yeah. How can you rightfully believe you are the best? When you are third string on your team, how does that make sense? And so to me, it starts with radical self-awareness and with radical self-awareness, because it's easier in the animal kingdom because it's clear binary ways of figuring this out, right? Clear right. competition between males going back to like, like who's the, who is the, um, the, the, the alpha buck, the, the two um, deers they take their antlers and they, they do their little thing and the winner yeah, 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 wins yeah. and the loser yeah. dies or goes away there you can't say you're the top deer you have to prove it so right, to right. me my biggest thing when it comes to guys saying that they're tens you have to once say okay what makes you a 10 you right. can't have mama's um grading system my, my mommy said i was 10 because i was handsome and i was smart no no right. no that don't work here what makes you great? Because what happens is men can objectively grade women, but they cannot objectively grade themselves. themselves. Radical yeah. self-awareness. And so my biggest thing is, is the market determines who you are. I love Your that. feelings don't determine who you nope, are. Nope. The market determines who you are. If you genuinely are a guy who's a 10, other women... Who are a 10 will want you. If you are genuinely a guy who's a six, other women who are a six will want you. The market, right. end of the day, not your feelings determines your value. So in my opinion, is that let's say somebody in their head, 
believes they're the best basketball player. The market says you're third string. You're not. You're not. So if you are a guy, you say, well, I'm a 10. I believe I'm a 10. But you go out with go out and talk to very attractive women. They're repulsed by you. They never respond to you. They give you fake numbers. They're trying to run away from you. There is no way unless you're delusional, which is a whole other conversation that needs to be addressed, right. unless you're delusional that you still believe that you're a 10. If the And my thing is, let's be objective. If right. The Rock is a 10, if... Brad Pitt's a 10, right? Right. If, if, if a guy like Michael B. Jordan is a 10. Right. Right? If a LeBron James is a 10. So you're you're there. You, you're there. You're you're with them. You're with those guys. You're, you're in that same category as those guys. Justin Bieber, The Rock, Michael B. Jordan. LeBron James, you're you're there with them. Come on, man, stop lying to yourself. Is that the biggest problem, Hafiz? That 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 dudes are just lying to themselves, bro. Porn has messed them up because what happens is dudes watch pornography, and they and we all have it. Trust me, I had it too when I was younger. We have this sexual entitlement, right? Right. right. Instagram era has created sexual entitlement entitlement. People feel like I deserve the million dollar house. I deserve the million dollar job. I deserve the vacation in Dubai. I deserve, you know what I mean? A million followers. I deserve right. the smoking hot wife. This social media entitlement generation has made people feel like they deserve the top of the top, though they are not that. Right, right. Radical self-awareness puts your life into perspective and you have gratitude for what you have. You don't need a 10 to be happy. You don't need a nine to be happy. You need what God has provided for you to be happy. And so instead of coveting, which is a sin that no one talks about, instead of coveting what everybody else has, stay in your lane and be grateful for what's before you and take what's available for you. And if not, improve yourself to be able to get what you believe you deserve in life. Javis, why do you think it's so hard for us to stay in our lane, bro? It's because everybody wants the best. Who who wants to live? Who wants to live in in in, in, in freaking um, Palm Beach when you can live in Millionaire's Row in Miami? Right, right, right. right. Who 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 wants to live there? Who wants to live there? Like Talking we don't about... want to. We don't want to live at the bottom. Right, 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 right. What? How do you like? Because I know you were you were Atlanta guy, then Houston for a chick that that didn't work out. You said, and then uh, and then Dallas, right? Yeah. How do you like living in Dallas? How do you like that? I if you're a single guy, I think Dallas is the best city for you, in my opinion. It's the best city are, for you. Are you uh, moving? Single- are you moving because of that? Are you are you gonna planning to move or you're staying in Dallas? No, nah, I'm not single anymore. But um, <laughs> um. I, I I plan on leaving Dallas uh, as well. No, that's why I said that's why I said because you said it's the it's, it's for a single dude. So now since you're married, are you thinking of leaving? Leaving? Uh, not necessarily. I'm leaving for different reasons. It's best for single guys because to me, Dallas has the best women for the value. It's like if there was a marketplace, the women in Dallas are the best value. There's better women from an aesthetic standpoint. Right, but in my opinion, value wise, I think Dallas has the best 
value, but no, I'm not, I'm not leaving Dallas. Um, but if I'm leaving, I'm leaving for like a, uh, a cool city. Like that's in like South Florida, something like that. You want to come down to here to South Florida? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely coming down to South Florida. Uh, what part have you shared that publicly or not yet uh i haven't decided yet uh, but this is like a 10-year plan this is this is no time soon unless things change but this is not anytime soon so you're staying in dallas for the near future yeah 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 yeah. and do you plan to have kids yeah uh when you think of yourself with kids and you think of what you're going through and what you see in society man what kind of dad do you want to be how close to pops can you get? Do you want to? You want to have? That I think parameter? I want to be. I want to. I want to be my dad, if or better. You know, How can I, you be I better think, than pops? I think my dad was a Hall of Fame dad, but I don't know if I can be better. I think. I think I'll be different. I can't say I'll be that much better than him. My dad's only thing. My dad, his weakness was he was Nigerian, so he didn't understand America that well. I think me being born here, I understand America a lot better than he does. So I think there's a lot more wisdom, practical wisdom I can give my children that he just didn't have because he was an immigrant. But that but sense, that's just bro. that's just extra stuff on the side, like extra stuff. But besides intangibles, just like, man, I think compete with him is you, you got to be kind of obsessed. And with the wife. How's that coming along, man? Is that what you is everything what you envisioned? Have you learned anything new? Has anything surprised you in that? Without going to personal, but that you can share that you're like, man, you know what? I didn't know this. I didn't expect that. Yeah, to me, I think the biggest thing that me and me and my wife did a great job was we we literally planned marriage out really well. Um, we 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 before we got married, we talked about we talked through everything, expectations, um, and all that stuff. The the only thing I think was a bit nuanced was, you know, I think we've found a good rhythm now, but the work pacing, that's something that I think um, is something that I've had to learn how to communicate better. Because I think at times, if you're a guy and you're working 60, 70 hours a week, and then you're doing 90, 100, then you're doing 110, 120, that can be a strain depending on that, that woman. So I think to me, just that work pacing, because before when I was single, I could just do work as much as I want. Right. Um, I can, you know, but now there's like having a healthier work pacing. I think that's something that's like really been beneficial to me in, in this, uh, this last, this season of marriage. And people don't talk about that, man. They, uh, at the club, the guys would always tell me, dude, it's the problem's not the kids, kids. You're going to love them. It's easy. The hardest thing is the wife. Right. The wife is the hardest thing because you haven't gotten there yet, bro. When women have kids, the hormones, the postpartum, bro, it's a whole different thing that dudes aren't prepared because nobody talks about it because that's not sexy. You know what I'm saying? And what's weird is guys tend to want to settle down, especially if you got chicks, right? If you if you got game, you're in the game and you love it. But at some point, almost like guys, nobody wants to be still crushing the game at 50. Like yeah. that's almost the barometer of 43 is sexy, 45, 40, but at 50 and you're still out there, like there's a mental thing on a dude that goes, bro, I'm, even though now it's crazy because at 50, you're cr at 45, you're crushing it with 20 year olds without a problem because we know you already got that. You're not doing stupid shit anymore. You're successful. You got it right. But we're not coached enough to deal with women on, I think in that long-term thing, because it's very easy to send a chick to go fuck herself. When you got confidence, whatever. But when it's your girl 
and you're like, fuck, man, this girl's coming at me in a way that I don't like, but I got to be careful here because I got this family and I got stuff like that, man. You ever think about that or you talk about that in your thing or are you still too young with your market that you talk to? You don't get into that. Yeah, we don't get into that as much with the roommates, probably in the standard. We have a lot of conversations like that because a lot of a good about not a lot, but a good amount of the guys there are married. Um, I think, like you said, there's um, most most young guy dating techniques is about uh, uh, is about attracting. Right. How to attract women. But then the, the, the maturation is really about retention, which nobody talks about. How do you retain women for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 year marriage, right? It's a whole different conversation. The yeah. skills that you need to attract are not the same skills you need to retain. And that's where a lot of young guys get mixed up because they try to use those same techniques later on in life and it gets screwed over. That dude, that's that's a great point. Hafiz, what do you do for fun, bro? Man, nothing. <laughs> like make more, make more stuff. <laughs> like I really, I really am not the the, the hobbies kind of guy. That's that's my that's not my number one weakness. I'm not really a hobbies kind of guy. I got neither am I. Like this to me is like this to me is fun, right? Like yeah, I yeah. I was so sad, man, and I and I didn't even apologize at the beginning. I want to apologize to you for not being here last time because I was I'm looking forward to. I don't have many talks with people about this kind of arena, right? And one of the things that and I want to apologize for last time because. I I got a big deal and it was it was huge and I hit up your boy and I said and my wife was like come on we 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 got to celebrate we got to do that I go listen let me hit him up and confirm and if I don't hear anything well and I didn't hear anything till the end and stuff like that dude but I'm so happy for what's happening for you and I think a guy like you is super important and I feel and this is where I have my thing, right? Where I excel in what I do is I've been able to spot talent before talent has really blown up, right? And I see that in you a lot. And now a lot of people say, oh, it's very easy. The guy has oh, that. But I think you're not even close to where you're going to be. And I feel that. And my thing has always been, okay, how can I bring value to this dude? Not money, not any, but just like, value to happiness to where this guy can feel proud of himself and go okay am i enjoying 31 am i enjoying 32 because the dangers of interviewing a lot of high profile people and a lot of high profile stuff is it's a smoky mirror of yachts and boats and trips and private planes and all these things and fame and all this great stuff right but like you said man sometimes it's better to be the happiest turtle than the strongest lion and nobody wants to be a turtle. Everyone wants to be a fucking lion. Yeah, no, that's really deep because I think to me, the part that's, that we talk about all the... I've been talking about it a lot is a lot of, lot of the problems with the high-value conversation is that high-value is synonymous to happiness, right? Right. Like, And so people think in order for me to be happy as a man, I have to be high-value, whatever the heck you define it, right? But to me, that those are two separate things whatsoever. As a man, we we one of the things we talk about all the time is that like you're you're happy when you're fulfilling the purpose that God has laid out for your life. Like the way a uh, 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 eagle is happy flying or a shark is happy swimming, 
If right. the eagle had to spend his whole life swimming, he would be miserable. But shark had to spend his whole life flying, he would be dead. You know, like so. It's like yeah. like you have to be content with the life that you have. And so the biggest thing for me is that the problem of the of the internet is so many guys feel like if I'm not Patrick Bear David, if I'm not Jordan Peterson, if I'm not Gary Vaynerchuk, if I'm not these superstar guys, but I never hit that level, I cannot reach happiness in, in life. And so to me, I have friends right now who are teachers making 70,000, you know, you know, not living the most lavish life, maybe right, have a right, hundred right. followers on Instagram, you know, very low key guys who are having fantastic lives. And so to me, it's the comparison as, as we talk about all the time is a thief of joy. And the more you focus your eyes on what other people have, the more miserable you become yourself. And so the big thing is for each man to ask God, what do I need to be happy? Because it's really important. And, and I want to get back a little bit to, to the 10 conversation because guys get obsessed with this, with this idea of smoking hot chicks. And so there's two things I want to talk about that guys don't realize is this concept of diminishing returns. And so Basically, what diminishing returns entails is it gets to a point where you add and then you lose. Okay. So you add and then you lose. So I'll give you an example. I have one, I have a restaurant. Let's say I have a restaurant and I have one chef. That one chef can make 10 meals a day. All right. I hire another chef. Now I have two chefs. Both of them can make 20 meals a day, right? I hire a third chef. Now they can make 30 meals a day. Good, right? Hire a fourth chef. Now they can make 40 meals a day. The more chefs I'm hiring, what's happening? I'm able to make more meals and more meals means more money. Now watch right. this. I hired the fifth chef. Now we're only making 35 meals a day. How is that possible? Let me tell you why. Because your restaurant kitchen can only successfully fit four chefs. By adding a fifth chef, now it's cramped. Now the oven's getting backed up. Now they're fighting with one another. Now they're having issues. Now more problems are occurring, so less meals are being created. So by going from four chefs to five chefs, you went from having 40 meals to 35. You subtract by addition, diminishing returns. So the point that I, a reference that I make is that hotter doesn't necessarily mean better. It gets to a point where if you want a girl who looks like this, it comes with extra things that you may not be um, ready for or you may not be able to handle or may not or this may not make her a better person, right? If you want the smoking hot chick who who who's who has a perfect body because she went to Dr. Miami and she has a perfect hair because she got the lace front and got the perfect nail, like that comes with a certain psychology. That comes with a certain mindset that might come with her dating a couple of billionaires and being used to a certain lifestyle and certain lavishness and certain spe spending versus right. you dating a woman who may not be the hottest of the hot, but she's beautiful especially to you, and she's holistically a better person. So to me, when guys are so consumed with, I want a chick who looks like that, 
they're not realizing that it also comes with X, Y, Z, A, B, C that you not you may not be willing to accept or you can't even deal with yourself. And so it's actually hurtful to you. So in, in, in even when it comes to that, you're dating a woman who's dated celebrities, athletes, A-listers. She may not respect you. Right. You doing your nine to five versus you meeting this girl who's a, a six, but she's a beautiful, classy woman who thinks you're the king of the universe, right? Because too many times the, the objective rating really doesn't mean a lot, especially when it comes to a perspective of does this person really value you and who are you, right? If you're a guy and you're like, I want to be a teacher making $50,000 a year, and then you want to date these smoking hot, drop dead gorgeous tens who are used to being around NBA players and, and yeah, rappers yeah. and millionaires. Yo, you'd be even if she was with you, you'd be miserable because you can't afford her lifestyle. You go broke dating her. Let and me so tell you a story. Realize. Let me tell you a story that which I agree with you, bro. I'm hooking up with this chick in, in Los Angeles, right? And I always knew my value. I always knew where my end thing was and where I ended and other people go. And I and I had other than looks, I got lucky there, a little swag and they got the Cuban stuff, but I knew where I, I, I stopped. Right. And there, and there's this girl that I would always, I, I, I never called any chick. I never called. They always had to call me. Cause I, that was my up. That's how I got one up on you. Right. And there's this girl that she's like, you never call me with her. And I go, I go, listen, dude, give me your phone right now. Okay, give me your phone. Let me, let me look at your phone. And the top three dudes th that I picked up her phone, this is in LA now. That sh that we're texting her was Dr. Dre, Bill Gates, and the other one I think it was like Tyrese or some shit like that. I go, hey, are you kidding me? I go, come on, man! Like, what are you doing? You know? And when you're in that, because LA is a different world now. Miami, Miami wasn't like how Miami is now. The pandemic changed Miami completely, right? And when the market shifts like that, just like the real estate shift now and all that stuff, right? A lot of everything, bro. I can't find something that you're saying that I just even to debate you. I can't because everything you're saying is on point, right? Like I agree with everything you're saying, man. So I back you there hundred percent, bro. Let's yeah, talk so, suits. I want to talk go, suits with you. Go ahead. Okay. So I learned from I never wore a suit in my life. Right? I was an ex-baseball player. I never wore a suit, right? But in Vegas. In order for me to be successful, I I wore a suit every single day. My goal in Vegas to be is the only time I is the first time I became successful as a man. Financially, just uh where people respected me, the whole thing. Where my dad first respected me was Vegas, right? And I started off as a promoter and I ended up being vice president of customer development for one of the biggest nightclubs organization hospitality groups in las vegas and it's the first time I, I i elevated to where now i'm competing with other celebrities with girls and the whole thing and all that stuff right and i wore a suit every single day and my goal was to work every single day for a year and then i'll come out positive momentum took me to a year and a half i couldn't stop i, I gotta keep winning because I, I i don't know if you went to vegas there was a place called hide in the bellagio you ever go there i've been but i know what you're talking about it was, bro, we had the fountains in the background. It was just insane. And that was my place. And that's where I controlled Las Vegas, right? I first got a suit at some Persian store there at the Boulevard Mall there. And it was like, but, but I tailored the shit out of it, bro. So it looked on point, right? And then my best friend, my boy, shout out to Nick Blair, man. He was the best guy at Tom Ford. 
So as my I was able to afford it, I went from a $50 shoot that I tailored it to $5,000, $8,000, like real Tom Ford stuff, like learning, understanding, lapel, suits, pocket mask, the whole thing, bro. You rock the three-piece a lot, right? Like I see you rock three-piece, right? How do you view suits? How do you view the style of suits? How do you how often do you wear suits? Yeah. Talk to me about that, you know? Man, to me, somebody once said lingerie is to women as suits are to men. Mm-hmm. And to me, suits are the biggest cheat code for success. Because to, to I tell people this all the time, man, like the reason why I started selling suits is because I believed in it so much because it works. I tell people this all the time. When a woman walks into a room, her value is written all over her body. It's written all over her body, by her body, by her face, by her hair. Like her value is physically present, right? right? A guy walks into a room, unless he's a celebrity, you do not know his value. If he's wearing a Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Christian, you know, whatever shirt, uh, that's kind of, that shows you nothing. Like, oh, that's kind of cheesy. That's kind of new money. That's too loud. But the what what communicates value in, to a man is his car and his suit. The car, if I'm in a, if I go into a restaurant, I go into a bar, go to a club, go to any social gathering, I can't bring my car into the freaking dinner table. You know what I mean? Uh, they haven't suit, invented that yet. They haven't invented yeah. the drive-in where you valet your you, car. What to you the can table. do, I mean, some guys they just take you know they might take the keys and put it on the table, but that's that's tacky at some point. Yeah, she's but ball, yeah. you you being in a a, a well fitted super nice suit i'm telling you people treat you differently i remember what like we we have so many stories about so many times when we're wearing a suit and literally people treat us differently and i've told every guy this men have no makeup oh oh, women have makeup a woman's a seven she can put on makeup be an eight Right, right, men right. don't have that. A suit can do that. A suit can do to men what makeup does for women. You can be a, a regular guy, regular guy, regular body, regular shape, put on a nice fitted suit. You go out, you, you literally go up one or two points just off of that alone. So to me, whether it's business deals, dates, whatever it may be, the suits are the cheat code. And so I don't know why more guys, I've told guys, if you don't believe me, go to H&M, wear some cheap H&M suit and try it out and return right. it the next day. Right, right, And that's right, right. a cheap H&M suit. That was like pay less shoes. Now try wearing a standard piece. Try wearing an actual quality suit. It changes the game. And so for me, I'm just about helping men become better. And I don't know anything else that will give you quick. Uh, the, the, it's the fastest increase in status a man can do. Watches people don't know watches that well. It's no, like your it's just car dudes. is outside. No, it's just dudes. Yeah, yeah, no, and you can't bring your house either. You're not gonna bring yeah, your you house. Yeah, can't bring your house. No one knows your Instagram followers. Nobody knows your job title. No, unless you're uh, Drake, nobody knows who you are. But right. you walk into a room with a well-fitted suit, heads will turn. They'll think you're somebody. It's only somebody's wear suits, and that's what I love about suits. Whenever we go out with the boys wearing suits. We, we we always get the best treatment. I never forget. True enough story. We were in New York City two weeks ago. Going to a nightclub in New York. 
Obviously, we pull up. We're, we're suited and booted, looking f- fresh. I go up to the woman at the door. I say, how much does it cost to get in here? She says $1,000. I'm used to Miami prices, two, $3,000, whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's a steal. My friend was like, yo, that woman's overcharging you. It's not $1,000 here. I was like, really? Do you remember the club? Do you remember the club? Which one? Do you remember the club you were at in New York? In New York. Do you remember the name? No, nah, I don't know the name. Okay, okay. So I was like, but it's a thousand. I said, yo, it's it's not that much. So we got somebody else to ask who like who was dressed down in the group, and it was five hundred dollars. And I realized she upcharged me because she thought I was rich because I had the suit on. Money. Yeah, because you got money. He saw yeah. the suit. He thought I had money, so she doubled the prices. I wasn't nice. mad at her. So yeah. to me, I'm just like, yo, there's so many instances, man, where the suits just increase your value. And I just don't know why more guys don't do it. And what I love about it is everybody has freaking Jordans. Everybody has yeah. what's those shoes that they wear nowadays? The um damn, what was those shoes everybody's wearing nowadays? I forgot the name of the shoes. Um off whites or something? Is that off whites? No, it's like it's like those really expensive Balenciagas. Everyone has Balenciagas, right, the Versace, right, right. the Gucci, everyone has. No guys wear the amazing suits, especially if you if you come in a crew. If it's if, if you guys as men, if you and your two friends come in well fitted suits and it's three of you guys, you will any girl you want to talk to will want to talk yeah, to you. Because you pop, what you happens pop, is you pop, bro. You pop and you turn heads. Most guys are Casper; they're invisible. You walk in a room, nobody knows. You pull <laughs> up in that suit. Bro, you become a freaking neon light of attention. What are the do's and don'ts of suits, bro? Obviously, you got to tailor them. I'm not a big I love the white shirt under. I'm not a fan of colored shirts too much, you know? Uh, what are you? What are your do's and don'ts? Never do sneakers with, sh- with shoes unless all whites. I can't say never do sneakers with Joe. The sneakers a lot. Now, I don't like the whole sports center Jordan's look. If you're going to do yeah. sneakers, do a, cla- do a very classy two color sneakers um that are I don't like name brands so don't I don't like you know doing forces or 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 or, or even Adidas I don't like make it something like a suit supply nothing um, loud yeah a, yeah nothing some, loud something very classy you can do a sneaker but Jordans I just find that those things to be tacky Balenciagas um, right. um Alexander McQueen's make sense those are those are uh, those are a classy but you know not as loud sneaker my advice is don't go out with a suit by yourself unless you have maximum confidence. If don't you're going go out, out by yourself, don't go out with a suit unless you have because you look like a creeper. Why are you by yourself out with a suit on? That makes that dude. I see that's that's one that's an interesting one, right? That's an a lot of creepy one. guys. I've noticed that a lot of creepy guys do that unless you have maximum confidence. You have maximum confidence, you rock it, and like, oh wow, this guy, somebody's pulling up in suits. I, I can do it at this point, right. Right. Uh, what, uh, what uh, a don't is don't be cheap. What blows my mind is like, like guys, no guys will say, I, I want to go out and wear some great shoes. Let me go to pay. Let's and get a deal. Guys don't, <laughs> don't go when they're trying to wear, go out and have a great outfit. They're not trying to go to pay less and get a deal for their shoes. Right. But dudes will go to H&M and, and Zara to get a deal for the suits. Yeah. And they don't realize, yo, Everybody knows it's cheap. The ones that know know it's cheap. You lose the effect when it's cheap. Hafiz, how often do you wear suits? If I go out wearing a suit, if I go out wearing a suit, unless 
Unless... With your chick, always with your chick, you wear a suit. Oh no, no, no. Rarely, because I don't, because I don't want to. Sometimes I don't want to out, like you know, outshine her too much. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to outshine her too much. So for special occasions or when it's time, when it's time to make business moves, the suit's definitely coming on. I like that, bro. And, I, and you, and you use them. You didn't wear it when you wore. How come you didn't wear a suit? An example, and it was four years ago when you interviewed Gary. You didn't wear a suit. You wish you would have. Nah, I wasn't. I was into suits back then. You wish you would have. Nah, I, I, I like the vibe because I feel like the next time I interview him while wearing a suit, it's like it, it's level up. Like 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 with get like Patrick. The first time I interviewed Patrick, I wasn't wearing the suit. You know, but then by the third time, I wasn't. You know, vet. What's funny was the first time I interviewed Patrick. I was in a suit. And I wasn't in a suit, but he was. The second was. time I was in a suit. And he did the polo. And he did the polo, but I, so I took off my jacket because so he wasn't feeling um underdressed. And the third time we both did a suit. So yeah. That suit's power, bro. That thing's a that is a power thing. How are we doing on time? I don't understand it, man. I really, I'm telling you, I don't I think guys think I'm selling it. I wish guys would really try everybody in the standard who can, they tell you suits work. They work. They just do. It's like no other guys do it. No other guys pull it off, especially from a, uh, from a casual perspective, bro. It just, it just works. It does work. And, and especially if you're in some kind of shape and you get it tailored, right? It's a killer, bro. It's it a, it's is. a real killer. And it makes you a tough guy. It makes, it makes everything sexy because when I wore a suit in Vegas, I wasn't a security guard, right? I'm I'm a, I'm a host. I'm a VIP host at the time and then until I move up. But everybody thought I was a tough guy. She said I was a bald and had a beard and I went a suit, you know? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. But it's just, it's power, man. And a lot of stuff that you're that you're talking about is, I my biggest thing is being comfortable in the uncomfortable, right? And mediocrity is always dying to creep in. Mediocrity is always dying to tell you how he's chill, bro. Don't do this. Don't wear that. Be this and that, man. And the power of being yourself and being in your lane, it's it's a big thing, man. That that isn't talked about because, bro, when you when when you when you turn on, when you pick up your phone and you see what the people that are popping, they ain't average. Unless you do something enough to get there, right? And I and I think that's that's the hardest thing in and your business is doing that, bro. I'm stuck on the on your happiness thing, right? On your hobby. If you were to pick a hobby, what hobby would you do? Um, I probably would when I when I was enjoying myself, I probably was like um doing um just throwing the football. Like I had a football, I had a quarterback coach. Okay. That was fun. Did you, but, but you weren't a you weren't a, a quarterback. You were a cornerback, right? Yeah, I was a cornerback. I just like I always wanted to be a quarterback. So I I, I one time I hired a quarterbacks coach and he would he trained me and I had a time in my life. What 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 did you uh, what did he say you were good at as a quarterback? As a quarter like when he saw you throw, what was he like? Whoa, man! You're what was it? The spiral? Was it you were short to the ball? Like what was he? Nah, I think I, I have I have good arm strength for a non quarterback. Really. Yeah, I, I I'm very I'm very accurate with a deep ball and I have really I have good arm strength for a non-quarterback. Do you ever now? So I am lucky because just like you, bro, I made I make a living working with kids. So I work with kids, bro, from age three 
in all different sports now and everything, right? So I I kind of get to enjoy that. And a lot of the stuff I think that you liked about throwing a ball is that you're outside, you're in nature, you know, you're just – and you're not stuck on the phone and you're not like – it's like you're just chilling, bro. And, and for that hour or 30 minutes, you're like, bro, I could be a quarterback. Like you're literally telling yourself, you know what, I can do this. Like, and, and it changes perspective, man. Do you ever think about going back to like, you know what, bro? I'm gonna hire this dude, and I don't care. I'm just gonna throw routes to people. You ever think about that? Oh, definitely. I'm definitely. I'm definitely thinking about it. I think. I think right now, um, that's one. Of the, that's one of my goals. Um, very soon to be able to get back to throwing again. It's. It was. I had a great coach. I really enjoyed him in Atlanta. He was a great guy, and so definitely, man. That's what that. That was a lot of fun to me, just being out there, just throwing that ball again, man. I, I miss it. Two more questions, bro. Two more questions for you. Do you, in where you're at now and everybody that you've interviewed, what did you realize, man, that you that you didn't know before? What did you realize? With everybody and and there's big names, there's big people, there's, there's so many things there, right? What did you realize? How much work it really takes to get to the top and, like, the real top, right? Like, we talk about the top of the mountain. No one lucks their way to the top of the mountain. Some people, you can be Jerry, Jeremy Lin and have a good game. You can't luck your way into a, a career. Joe Flacco had a great, great run. Right. He didn't have a great career, right? So to me, to get to the top of the mountain, it takes so much freaking work. It's, right. You don't luck your way there. People think you luck, your, you can luck your way in it, but you can't stay there with luck. You can't right. stay at the top of luck. It's impossible. Um, and so right. to me, Meeting these guys, seeing how how hard they're working, seeing how innovative, strategic they are, man, I just realized, yo, if you want to get to the top, like the top, I'm talking about the real top, being a real life ten out of ten for success, bro, it's it's way more than you could ever dream or imagine, way more, way more. What in in that journey of you as an interview and getting guests and stuff like that, what was your and your growth, right? What was your biggest challenge, man? What was your biggest thing to yourself that you're like that that kind of got you in the growing process of getting people on and building something? Well, to me, I think I don't give my best interviews because I'm always in an uncomfortable environment. You know, I, I think I don't think people realize like you know, th there was maybe there was maybe four or five, maybe like three or four times I've actually interviewed somebody where I would say I was in a comfortable environment. So I didn't, I never had a studio. I think eventually when we did have a studio, you know, I know Coffee came through, Ruslan came through, Anthony O'Neill came through. So to me, the biggest thing for, in my brain was that I didn't have the most comfortable environment for interviewing. So I feel like I never gave the best interview. Most of the interviews I did, every interview I did with Patrick, I did by myself. You know, there was no team. There was it was literally me setting up, doing video, audio, lighting, all that while recording, while asking questions, while being on time. While, like like there was no team around me. So to me, I think that's probably one of the biggest hiccups along the ways. I feel like I never really gave like really amazing interviews. They were good, but they weren't amazing because I just wish I could really have gotten in like low state and been in my element. So I never got like, so this is the idea of this concept called flow state where you're not even thinking you're just being, 
right? You're just like, like thinking about whatever you're doing, you, you're doing something, you wake up, it's like, whoa, three hours passed by because you were just in this state of just constant doing and, 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 and involved in it. When I'm interviewing people because I'm, I'm doing the video, because I'm doing the audio, I'm always thinking about those things while I'm interviewing people all the time. And then I'm in their office space. So I got to get out by this time. And then people are like five minutes, 10 minutes. So it's not like, like Joe Rogan. I, I envy Joe because people come to Joe Rogan's studio and they just sit down for like two, three, four hours and just talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So to me, I feel as though I never got into flow state with my interviews because I was never in those comfortable environments with no time, time schedule to just be able to just go. And really get into like a two, three hour amazing conversation. That that makes sense, bro. That makes sense, man. Dude, I'm I'm so proud of you and what you're accomplishing. And, and I, I feel that you're only beginning, man. Before before I let you go, what 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 question do you have for me? What can I help you with? Ask me one question. So the question I have for you is how do you balance? Teaching men about attracting women without teaching promiscuity. So I think one of the most unique things about me is I'm heavily against, uh, it's just my personal worldview, right? I'm heavily against promiscuous male behavior. I think it's, I think it's very more destructive than it's beneficial. So I wonder how do you personally feel about promiscuous male behavior and how do you balance teaching men how to get a good woman without balancing without making it too much about getting laid and getting so many different women that's a good question okay so take you got to have a mature conversation right and you have to understand what separates real life from being cool so you're talking to a guy that cheated on every woman i've ever been with till i got married there's reasons for that and you talked about self-awareness. And you talked about what makes each one of us pop, right? And like you said, some people, it's the watch. Some people, it's the car. Some people, it's the ability to pick up women. So what you have to, what I would do is, kind of like the Spider-Man thing, that with great powers come great responsibilities. The best, once a dude realizes, and you talked about this, the, the thing of having uh, five, six girls and being busy, it makes you even more attractive, right? You got to preach honesty. And what I tell dudes is, listen, man, you're going to be on point. You're going to look great. What's going to happen is now you're in the position where you can hurt a lot of girls because now you're they're entering your world. See, what, what made me powerful in Vegas was Hafiz would come with his uh, seven girls, right? And you were entering my world. So I waited for you at the Bellagio. You walked right in my club. Or if I really wanted to impress you, I take you to Prime. Chef John George, if he's in town, famous celebrity, will come out to my table. You sit there. We talk. Same conversation I've always had. Insert girl here. Insert girl. So I look like a, you're in my world now. So I have, you got to teach responsibility without looking like a coward and without being that guy that's like, <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's such a delicate thing it's like wearing a suit without being a tryhard yeah right and it's a balance that only by doing 
can't read about it's only by doing but you grab your guys and say the first thing and i would say this in sports man and i tell parents this all the time and i tell coaches i go every single year every single time you have your get together we're just gonna grow at the first time there was three guys in suits then five then 15 sometimes bro you're gonna be sitting in you hafiz is gonna be sitting in front of 100 people man you're gonna have 100 dudes looking at you and if the first thing you tell them is listen to me guys the number one thing I care about, what separates me from Andrew Tate, from the other guys was, and I think what separates you is that I care. I care about humanity and I care about what's happening. You want to have 20 girls? That's amazing. Tell every single 21 of them, all 20 of them, that you want to have fun and you want to have a good time. And if they start dating other dudes on that, be mature enough to be like, ooh, I don't like that. Either stop dating her or make her the one. And the more we talk about that over and over again, just like, Hafiz, you don't need seven cars, bro. You'll be good with two. Just like the chef restaurant situation. Bro, four chefs, we don't need 18. That's the problem, right? People want to expand, expand, expand. So what I would do is I would have, as part of my course, uh, crowd management. Because at the end of the day, I would rather be the guy that goes to Dallas, Texas and go, Hafiz, come with me to Grapevine, bro. My boy is the guy that runs Grapevine because I helped this kid and I helped this, this and that versus, I don't know, I can't go to Dallas because I burned the whole place. Like nobody wants HP there because I did. And that's the thing, man. And to give you a funny Gary V story, because we've talked about him, I started doing content ironically because of Gary. I saw him doing it. I had no idea who the guy was. I was a baseball guy. I had come back from Las Vegas being the guy to marry my wife, the love of my life, who I went to high school with, Hafiz. I saw her one time. I go, this girl's gorgeous. Never spoke to her again. She reaches out to me through Facebook to throw her best friend's bachelorette party. I'm in Vegas. The man upstairs starts talking to me. Listen to this. Bro, the legend is not going to die running around a 10,000 square foot club in Las Vegas. There's more in life. A lady who is super spiritual, who's the, the president, the CEO of MGM Resorts, her, his right-hand man, lady, goes to me, listen, you're, you, you're not going to be a club guy. You're going to work with kids. I go, Angela, you're crazy. I'm never leaving this life. This is the best. What, what am I going to be? In a... And she was right. And I did it, right? And I was a guy, to give you a little example, I came from not poverty. But my dad worked for Pepsi-Cola his whole life. Blue-collar guy. Stocking shelves every single day. And my dad's problem was he would grab Hafiz and give you life advice, which was awesome. But he didn't know how to say it. He wasn't smooth about it. And he always made you shorter and fatter. I make you taller and leaner to help you, right? So I dealt with, and I took the public school bus, and I didn't. Have a car in high school, senior year. My mom dropped me off in a Scarface 1985 Cadillac. So I'm getting my ass kicked every single day. And I learned how to win in my head through everything. And I dealt with, because you mentioned gambling. You know what theoretical play is in gambling? No. So Vegas rates you by this formula called theoretical play. You could go to Las Vegas right now, Hafiz, and deposit $50 million in an account. They could care less. But your theoretical play is the average hand you bet 
plus the time you sit at the table playing. So the higher you bet, plus as long as you sit at the table, that equals a formula. That's how Vegas rates your value. Okay? I had at the time in Vegas the highest theoretical player, a dude that would play roulette, you know, the one with the ball that you pick a color. He averaged 330000 a spin. A spin, bro. Like I had a $4 million line of credit. There are some times when he would come in town that he'd lose $20 million. There are some times he'd win $15 million. Like, it's just that, bro. And this is me now in that, right? So as I'm watching Gary do his thing, I go, this is interesting. I'm going to start vlogging. And I started vlogging in the streets of Miami. Everybody hating on me that knew me. I was like, well, who's this guy? I think I'm 37 years old. Not a cool 31-year-old like you. I'm 20. I'm 37. Like, this vlogging. Hey, guys. And everybody's hating on me. I'm getting destroyed by everybody, bro, except the kids. And I was just sharing my story of helping people. And then I help, and I help, and I help, and I see Gary's thing. Oh, I'm going to start. And I started vlogging, whatever. And I'm on ESPN talking about helping kids and people and this whole thing. And I endorse the book, Crushing It, that Gary wrote. Oh, look, Crushing It, whatever, boom. And a guy reaches out to me that works for Vayner. Doesn't work there anymore. And he goes, dude, I really like your story. I'm an ex-athlete, whatever, whatever. Why don't you come do my podcast? And Vayner, in Gary's office. And Gary was out of town. And I kind of felt weird about that. I was like, bro, this is a little weird. And I felt people looking at him, whatever. The dude gets fired. Right? But before he gets fired, he goes, you should talk to this guy. He's a baseball guy, whatever. And I made a good friendship with this guy. And I was in, I don't know if you know baseball, but uh, I became the first influencer to sign with Rawlings. You know Rawlings, like the glove company? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the official glove. So I signed with them. And I'm in the, the Plaza Hotel for the Gold Glove Awards. And I'm interviewing people and the whole thing. And the day before, I helped this kid out in New Jersey. And after, his dad takes me to dinner to celebrate, like I helped this kid in this whole thing. And I go, listen, dude, I didn't get to see your kid hit. But if you want to, I'll see him hit and I'll talk to the team and I'll speak to him and I'll talk to him about life, whatever, whatever. Guy's like, okay. I'm interviewing Ozzy Smith. You know who Ozzy Smith was? Remember the shortstop from the Cardinals? Uh, No, but... Super famous oh, guy. I'm interviewing him. The dad, that guy sends me a text. Bro, he sends me this long text, like really deep. And I was like, holy shit. He's like, bro, I if you come tomorrow, man, I have I set up so you can speak to three teams. You could do this, this is in New Jersey, whatever. I go, I'll be there. I think I got my happy positive stuff. I was done at the Plaza Hotel at three o'clock in the morning. My happy positive self was at that ferry to go to New Jersey. Okay. You talked about being a one-man team. Everybody promised me they'd help me how to edit. Hafiz, I had to go to the Apple store for two months, twice a week, to learn how to edit an iMovie, bro. My chick, who's a fucking 10, looked at me at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, sitting there, like, editing, like some guy, because I'd be obsessed with this thing, right? And I went to New Jersey, and I worked for four hours for free, recorded everything, and I'm helping kids. And at the end of it, the guy pulls me aside. He goes, hey, listen to me, man. I cannot repay you for what you've done. But let me tell you what I can do. I'm best friends with a guy by the name of Gary V. When Gary started this whole thing, I'm in the wine business. Okay. I would go to Gary's store when his dad owned it. And he was working there. And I would see him there. We were on a plane ride back. Oakland, the, the Raiders played the Jets. Gary pulled out his yellow sheet and says, listen, Lou, I'm going to start this show called Wine Library TV. I'm going to go to Best Buy. I'm going to buy this thing. And I'm going to start. And the guy, the whole thing. 
And he's known him from back then. And he goes, I'm going to get you a sit down with Gary. And I go to him, Lou, I'd be great, man. But if I do that, I want you to come with me because I don't want to be one of those guys that's there for 10 minutes. And Gary goes, okay, bye. See you later. Content, content, content. Get out of my face. I go, I don't want that, bro. I want to be able to see Gary in the airport and go, what's up, motherfucker? Wait, bro. I want to have that. I don't need anything from anybody, but I want that. So we're sitting there and about 10 minutes into it, Gary goes to me, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, listen, I'm going to be speaking in Ontario. You're going to be in Calgary. I want to help you. And this night, I was, whoa, 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 me and you need to have dinner. I was like, cool. And the day after, and I'll leave you with this, a day after, and this is a special person that Gary is, and I know you feel that way about him and certain people. We're in Westchester, New York, at a card show. And, and Gary, I haven't told him this yet, but I'm going to tell him this one day. And he was there with his kids. And we're just looking at cards. And his daughter was bored because what is, and there's kids are young. And and he went and he stopped, went all the way. He didn't send anybody. He went and dropped her off with the car with the driver and came back. There wasn't one camera there, Hafiz. That guy signed every autograph, took every picture, helped everybody out, while still sharking everybody for deals and business in, in baseball cards. He was exchanging shout outs for this, for that, for boom, boom, this whole thing. And I sat there and I go, this is crazy, man, that in two-year time, the exact date that I sat there on ESPN and said, oh, and the, I was in Gary's office, right? And it goes to show you that I tell you all this because the responsibility you're going to have, man, is going to be insane because you care. You didn't ask me, hey, how do I grow my channel? How can I hit a billion? How can I, you ask me, bro, how can I help these dudes not abuse the power they're going to have in your sharing? And I think you got to make vulnerability on that side. Because there's two kinds of vulnerabilities. There's the vulnerabilities, like you said, where you're delusional and you think you're a fucking 10. And, bro, you're not, dude. And I hate to say that. I wish, I wish I could tell you you're the next Michael B. Jordan, bro. But the market doesn't see it, man. Doesn't mean you suck. It doesn't mean that. That's that's one side which you crush. You can do that very well because it's obvious. The other side is, listen, Hafiz, I got to talk to you, bro. The fact that you came on my show, already knowing who I am, and that I canceled on you one time, and you showed up this time again, means you're going to be very special, bro. So now I worry about you just instinctually. It could be that God puts it in me, whatever. I want this dude to have a successful marriage. I want that. And I want him to, to do that while growing his company, while throwing a fucking football, while doing these things that make him happy. And because I have two kids, I married a 10 who makes six figures, but I adore. And my goal is just to look at that woman. I would just want to look at that woman and romance her all day long and do things to her and tell her and talk to her. And if I can give you anything on that, while I play with my son who turns two, and is that where you're headed is super lonely only because we're not as gifted as you are. We don't have that power you have. So you're going to need a lot of empathy for the people you're going to build around you because we're not on your level. And the hardest thing to do when you are uh, Alan Iverson, right, is, okay, you're Alan Iverson, congratulations, but are you MJ? MJ was able to lift everybody up. And I think you're very good at that. 
And then my goal is, the value I could give you is, and I could talk to you about forever is, to help you be the best version of, what's Pop's name? Uh, my dad? Yeah. Uh, his name was Kunle. Cool. He's still alive? Of course. So if I could have you be Kunle, but with Wi-Fi, that understands TikTok, that understands DMs, bro, how much value you're going to bring to this world, man. So I'm, that's like I said, bro, that's what I would do. That's we're proud of you, man. I'm going to push people for the roommates. I'm going to push people to your personal thing. You're creating your own brand, which I love. And I love it, dude. So I love it. I'm going to end it here, and I'm going to say bye to you the right way, okay? Sounds good, brother. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.